For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. O oh Lord God, truly we tremble before you. We worship you in the beauty of holiness. We sing to you, Lord, we ascribe to you honor. We bring offerings into your courts. We tell it out among all the nations, even amongst ours, that you are king, that all the peoples rejoice. Lord Jesus Christ, in you it is bodied glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards all people. Thank you for bringing heaven to us and dwelling in us and raising us from earth to your heaven, O God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Wonderful to see you tonight. Now really, so we're doing this series on what is essential about Christianity, and we're using Rowan's, Rowan Williams' simple, lovely, elegant, and eloquent. Some of you may say that about me. He's elegant and eloquent, and you're befuddled and baffled. Just kidding. Grab this book. It's 10 bucks at your local bookstore, logos, half-price books, etc., or on Amazon. So I'll get to that in a minute. You can't, we can't not talk about these lessons just ever so briefly. And I want to draw your attention to Malachi because maybe you've heard that passage from Malachi before and maybe you've thought, well, what is this? Is this the prosperity gospel? No. God is bringing a charge against his people and he just brings an example and that example happens to be money. You see, the people of Israel had forsaken God. They had followed after other gods. You've heard the story before. You've seen this movie. You've listened to the album all the way to the end. You've heard the hidden track. You know what happens. But just notice what God says. He says, you say to me, people of Israel, how shall we return? What have we done wrong? Look there at verse 8. God's response is, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? God responds, in your tithes and contributions. Now, if we're wondering what we're worshiping, if we're wondering to whom we are devoted, if we're wondering if we're following the Lord God Almighty, then we'll take this example 
and ask the question that Jesus implied in the gospel. Is my money my money or is it God's money? I'll give you the answer whether you acknowledge it or not. It's all God's. Everything we see around us, everything that you're wearing, everything that's in your bank account, at your house, everything throughout all of time and space is whose? God's. And so because it's the Lord's, it's our gift to be able to take that first 10%. It reminds us of God's instructions through Moses in Exodus 13 that each firstborn, whether it's a human or an animal, it's given to the Lord. Give to the Lord the firstborn and you redeem the rest. And God says the same thing here. Bring me your tithes and your offerings. Friends, do not deprive yourself of the freedom of tithing. That is all I'm going to say because it's not yours. I'll say more. It's not yours. It's not mine. We think it's ours. We, our souls latch on to the things. We hold on to it. It's, we're like Gollum underneath the roots of the mountain in the pitch black and we have the ring and it will give us power and it will comfort us. But inside we're turning black and we can't see light. So remember whose it is and to whom you give it. Amen? Amen. Wow, what a great sermon. Sermon part two. You're getting two sermons for the price of one. No pun intended with price there. So we've been talking about baptism, and last week we talked about the meaning of baptism, what it is in its essence, and, and what do the people who are baptized look like? And so we talked about that baptism means to be, to be immersed or to be dipped, and we saw very quickly that Jesus talked about his suffering and death as a baptism. And for us, for you and for me, to join the church means that we're immersed into what? Christ's suffering and death and resurrection in the unity of that one event. We saw that it's this unfolding process that will take two steps forward and three steps back and that will often stumble and trip. But nevertheless, being baptized makes us present to the chaos without, because we remember that chaos at the beginning of time when there was water isn't it interesting that we, to baptize, we pour water over ourselves? So not only is there this, this cleansing and this renewal symbolism, but there's also the chaos of creation in order that we may be a new creation. So we step into the chaos outside of us and we're unafraid to do what? To examine and to bring before the Lord the chaos within us the chaos that we may even be afraid to name. So that's what it's like to be baptized. Tonight, part two of baptism, there'll be one more part of baptism, that's next week with Chris. Tonight, part two of baptism is about sharing in the life and in the death of Jesus Christ. Sharing in Christ's death and life, his life and his death. So if all the things that we said last week are true about baptism, then it doesn't make us special. It doesn't make us above anyone. It does set us apart. It does make us holy unto God's purposes. But rather, it puts us in solidarity with people, with people who are suffering. We talked about this last week, with people who are on 
the margins. Whether or not they're Christians, whether or not they're baptized, we, because we're baptized into Christ's death, can identify them, identify with them. Williams says this, baptism does not confer on us a status that marks us off from everybody else, some sort of special dignity or privilege that keeps us separate from, from or superior to the rest of humanity, but rather it gives us a new level of solidarity. So think about those around you that are suffering right now. Or think about people you've seen on the news. Think about, get the picture of them in your mind. Because of your baptism, you have a new solidarity with them. You have a new connection with them. Why? Because that's who Christ came for. That's who Christ goes to. He goes to those who are sick who are in desperate need of help. So to be a Christian then is to be affected. And Williams uses this word, it even means to be contaminated by the world. Now think about that for a moment in this season of global pandemic, which according to the newspaper yesterday will last at least until 2024, the psychological and economic and all sorts of effects. Even when a vaccine comes, we're still going to be picking up the pieces. We're still going to be seeing the wake of the pandemic reverberate against the shore and bounce back out into the water. And so we're going to be jostled by it. And yet in this space, there's an invitation for us to be contaminated, not not necessarily by COVID-19, but to be contaminated by the world. The church oftentimes, especially in America, sees itself as separate, and we are separate. We are God's people. We are distinct. But we've used that separateness to do what? To push others away. And to, dare we say, keep away from others. But in our baptism, it gives us this privilege to be contaminated by the, by the world. So we're washed, we're cleansed, and we're you new, yet we're also pushed into a mess that may hurt us. It's a lot like parenting, isn't it? It's all new, it's fun, it's hopeful, but what? It's a, it's a mess. Because you don't know what you're doing, I don't know what I'm doing. The kid certainly doesn't know what they're doing. But God's, pres- our Father, not our CEO or our, our great boss in the sky, but our Father who's with us presides over all these things. So we have this new solidarity. But because of that, because of this new solidarity, because we're pushed into the mess of humanity, we as members of this new humanity, the church, that draws out of us a brand new openness to the Spirit. Think about Peter walking on water, living his best life, and then what happens? The wind comes, the waves come, See a theme happening here? He falls into the water and he cries out, Lord, save me. And so you and I have this new openness to the Spirit as baptized people. Not only are we marked and sealed with the Holy Spirit in our baptism, we'll do that here in just a couple of weeks as we have baptism. Not only are we sealed with the Spirit in baptism, but we call out to him to God Almighty, to save us. We have this new openness to the Spirit. We grow in our ability to pray by the Spirit. And we realize that the Spirit isn't just any old Spirit. He's the Spirit hovering over the waters in creation. He's the Spirit that descended like a dove over Christ. 
in his baptism. He's also the spirit, St. Paul says, of adoption. And we remember that baptism is also a sacrament of regeneration, the sacrament of initiation, the sacrament of new birth, new creation, all these things. And it's the sacrament of adoption, where we're brought from our earthly family into God's family, where we receive the faith of Abraham and we live into the faith of Abraham because Abraham was looking for what? He had all the land and the cows and the livestock and all the people, and he finally got the son. He tried a couple different means. Those weren't quite right. So he finally got the son, Isaac, and made him laugh. But the book of Hebrews says that Abraham was looking for a kingdom that was to come, a world that was to come. Glory to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, both now and forever into the ages of ages as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. We say that every time we say a psalm. And so as baptized people, we have the spirit of adoption in us that teaches us to pray. And we realize that as baptized people, we have a certain kind of prayer. It's a prayer of desperation, isn't it? It's a prayer that moves in the depths of our being. And it's a prayer that finds us rooted in the Holy Trinity. I love, did you notice the music that we sang tonight? We sang about the Holy Trinity. We, we sang about the Trinity. We sang to the Trinity. We sang in the Trinity. We, we engaged in this dance with God. It's beautiful. And baptism, guys, puts a smack dab in the middle of the Trinity. Listen to what Williams calls it. He says, we are in a constant rediscovering and reenacting of the Father's embrace of Jesus in the Spirit. Remember that, that baptism icon, Christ over the chaos of the waters in the River Jordan, You've got the sea monsters. You've got the uncreated light of God the Father at the very top and then the dove descending. And we get to live in the Father's embrace of Jesus in the Holy Spirit. You've heard me talk about slowing down and being still. You've seen me fumble and fail <laughs> at slowing down and being still. But we, I beg us, I beg me, to be present to the Father's embrace of Jesus in the Holy Spirit as we participate in that life, in the life of the Holy Trinity, that renewal. And so we find that our prayer as baptized people, is deep. St. Paul says, not long after he talks about the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, he says, the prayer of a baptized person is one where the spirit intercedes for us in our weakness with sighs or groans too deep for words. Hmm. Did you know that there are things that you and I don't even know about ourselves, but God knows about us? Or things that we know about ourselves, but we've so shoved it down below the surface that, that we've forgotten about it in whatever sort of defense we've chosen. But God knows. The Spirit knows. And you know what the Spirit is doing? Let me tell you one thing. He's not accusing you. We often think of our consciences being like the voice of the Holy Spirit, don't we? And what do our consciences often do? That was bad. That was wrong. 
And it may well have been bad or wrong what you did, but the Spirit is doing what? He's interceding. He's not condemning us. St. Paul says Jesus is the one who can condemn you, but he's interceding for you too at the right hand of the Father. Baptized people, there is a prayer happening in your depths right now by the Spirit. Can you hear it? Can you feel it? Can you agree with it? So our prayer is deep. It surges, us, it surges up from God's own life within us. We are carried along, William says, on a, along on a tide that is so deep. It's deeper than ourselves. It's growing. It's moving. And William says that prayer of the baptized people is mysterious. We can't quite make sense of it. It's not quite as logical and as 1A and 1, 2, 3, and then B, 1, 2. It doesn't make as much sense as we think it ought to. It's what Chris says so well as we talk about our value of mystery. It's unfathomable, meaning literally we can't get our arms around it. And we remember that God is not a mountain or a molecule. We can't put him under a microscope, as Chris says, but we can know him, and we can know him through this mysterious, deep prayer of the baptized. Williams goes on to say, this prayer is so compelling. This prayer is so unique to the baptized that you can't not do it. He says, we can't not pray. It's like a sneeze. Have you ever tried to hold in a sneeze? It's kind of embarrassing. Also, there's, we try to keep our eyes open during a sneeze. Something happens where we can't not do it. But the point is, to be baptized means to find ourselves in places where we're, we're going to literally not be able not to pray as the Spirit prays through us and for us. And as we cry out to God, just like St. Peter falling in the water, Lord, save me. That's a good prayer. That's a valuable prayer. The Spirit, William says, wells up and surges up toward the Father. Just imagine that, the Spirit surging up. Not that the Father's in some second story of the universe, that we have to have the Hubble telescope, but he, outside of us. The Spirit's in us, the Father's outside of us, and the Spirit surges up reaches out to the Father. But because of this, there will be more moments when precisely because we can't help ourselves, it can feel dark and unrewarding. In fact, the prayer of the baptized will be puzzling deeply and hard to speak about. So lastly, because of all of this, we realize that many saints... Many mystics and priests and monks and pastors and teachers and Sunday school teachers and all sorts of people, people who are baptized, they have emphasized that prayer is not about feeling good. That's not the point of prayer, nor is the point of prayer results. That's difficult for us to deal with in our results-oriented society. In a society where our founding documents tell us that if, if, you know, if we only use our minds, we can do whatever we, can, whatever we want. When really, prayer is not at all about doing whatever we want. Prayer is neither about being pleased with ourselves. Now that's where I can really identify, oh, yes, I got up and I said my morning prayers. 
and I lit my candle. And so now I'm going to have an excellent day. Or children, be quiet. Dad, father's praying. And I realize in some sick, twisted way, it's really about me. And Jesus graciously from the tree of life reminds me, no, 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 no. You just stand here with me. William says, prayer is what God does in you when you are close to Jesus. Sometimes that hurts really, really bad, doesn't it? The work that God has to do in us when we're close to Jesus. Williams reminds us that to be baptized is not to be in what the world thinks of as a safe place. Hmm. That it's not always up and to the right to be a Christian. And when you look at the lives of great saints, you see many whose path of contemplation has led them to deep inner desolation, loneliness, and uncertainty. I think this is for the cynical side in us, the skeptical side in us, the unbelieving and doubting side in us. That if you find yourself in a place of inner desolation, loneliness, and uncertainty, that you're more in the majority of what Christians have experienced in prayer throughout history than not. Let me say that one more time. If you find yourself, I'm going to read William's words exactly, in deep inner desolation, loneliness, and uncertainty, you have more in common with most of the saints that have come before us than not. We think about Mother Teresa, St. Teresa now of Calcutta, she experienced terrible isolation from God, but continued to pray. Henry Nouwen writes beautifully in several of his books that as you, as you descend into that life of prayer, into the depths, as it were, and you start feeling resistance and even spiritual forces coming against you, demonic forces, Nouwen says you're on the right path. You push through and you keep going because friends, Christ went before us. We sang about it earlier. On that morning when he rose and the dead were raised from their tombs. That's not just something we think about on Easter. That's not just something as baptized people that we celebrate on Easter. That is the still point on what all the earth turns. And when Christ comes again, that will be the, the reality of the kingdom that he is bringing. So finally, to be baptized and to live this baptized life takes courage, persistence, and perseverance. So far in William's book, to be baptized sounds really hard, doesn't it? But in the darkness, in the difficulty, in the suffering, trial, desolation, loneliness, and despair, God meets us. Do not be afraid, O baptized people. Do not be afraid to be contaminated by the world. Do not be afraid to pray that prayer of the depths with the Holy Spirit. Do not be afraid to abide in the life of the Holy Trinity. And do not be afraid to not give up. Move forward because you are baptized. Let us pray.
God in heaven, we confess our fear. We confess our inadequacy. We confess what we don't know. And that's why we cry out to you, Lord, save us. Lord, save us. Lord, save us. Thank you for our baptism. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for putting us in the life of the Holy Trinity. We beg of you to continue to transform us, to give us courage for the journey. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.